Thank you, Pastor. Welcome home. We miss you. If you all have your Bibles and if anyone needs one, Mr. Rick will be glad to pass it out. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 23, and we're going to go into part two, Life, Death, Revival. That's the title of the message. Last week we talked about Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was the first a righteous king to do something that seven other righteous kings before him did not do. He tore down the high places, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, chapter 23 of 2 Kings, we're going to start with the second part of verse 1. It says, And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which he had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took their stand for the covenant. Father, we thank you today, Lord, as we study your word, Lord. We thank you for the beautiful song that Ginger shared with us, Lord, and how it touched our hearts, Lord. And Lord, we ask that it will be a tool used, oh God, to touch other people's hearts, Lord, and allow them to be aware, Lord God, that it's not just a fetus, but that it is a living child, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you today, Lord, as we study your word. We ask that you would bless it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hezekiah was uh, a king. Uh, there were seven kings before him. There were many kings before him, but there were only seven righteous kings before him that did all good things that God, Judah, which is the southern tribe. Keep in mind, the northern tribe of Israel has now gone into captivity because of going after other gods and because they were killing their children to other gods and sacrificing. And so, boom, God pronounced judgment on them and they were no longer uh, part of um, Israel. All that was left now was the southern tribe, the two southern tribes, Simeon incorporated into Judah and they became one known as Judah, the land of Judah. And this is the southern kingdom. And Hezekiah, every now and then a righteous king would be risen, and Hezekiah was the first one to come into being, uh, to become king, and he tore down the high places. And the good thing that Hezekiah did was tearing down the high place. It was a place where they made a metal god made out of iron called Morlock, and this god was a sun god. It was a worship to the sun. So that's why it was placed on a high place to be as close as possible to the sun. And how they worship was they sacrifice babies. Uh, they would, uh, in the back of this god, there was an open space that they would put all this wood and get a big fire going, brazing hot. And uh, this god had his arms out like this, this statue. And they would take babies and put the babies on the arms. And the arms would be just molten hot and it would just kill the babies, and they would have a group of drummers that would just pound on the drums so you couldn't hear the baby cry. And that's how, that's the terrible thing that they were doing. And that's what Israel did. 
and God pronounced judgment on them. And that's what Judah was doing until Hezekiah came along and finally done away with the high place. And he represents life. Adam is an example. God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. He represented life, Adam. And uh, Hezekiah is the type of king that's representing life. He's bringing life. He's bringing joy again back to Judah. And God is now ready to bless Judah instead of causing them to go into captivity. He sent one angel of the Lord as Hezekiah went before the Lord and he prayed to the Lord. He brought the big problem to the Lord and God sent the prophet and said, God has heard your answer and he will take care of it. One angel of the Lord came and wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers that had come to take Judah and to, to, to destroy Judah. And um, Hezekiah was a wonderful king until the time came when Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, put your house in order, you're gonna die. And uh, Hezekiah wept, no, 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 please, Lord, no, no, I don't wanna die, I don't wanna die. So God sent the prophet and said, okay, I'm gonna give you an extra 15 years. That extra 15 years caused Hezekiah to do two bad things. The one bad thing was he invited the Babylonians who was an up-and-coming power to come and visit, and he showed them everything that Israel had, all its riches and all that it had. And what did um, the Bible, uh, what did the prophet come, the prophet Isaiah came and said, what did you show him? What did you do? And he said, I showed him everything. And Isaiah said, that was a terrible thing because now they're going to come back and take and destroy. Uh, but it won't happen in your lifetime. So Hezekiah says, oh, good. Well, long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime, everything's okay. He couldn't he could care less what was going to happen in the future. The other bad thing that happened in that 15-year range, Hezekiah fathered another son. And that's the one we're going to talk about today, Manasseh. And he became a very bad, evil person. And we're going to read about our, uh, Manasseh today. Uh, Hezekiah died. And Manasseh ascends to the throne, and he was a king that reigned the longest. Imagine having a wicked king reigning 55 years. Imagine having a president in our country that was a wicked person serving as our president for 55 years. It's not, it's not a pretty thing to think about to have an evil person that will reign that long. You pray, you pray, oh, raise up a righteous king. Raise up somebody that is good. We just had a great king that brought life to our country. And now we're going to have this guy Manasseh come in and uh, destroy what, what we have. So let's look at, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 21, and we're going to read about Manasseh. By the way, uh, names have meanings in the Bible, and uh, I never told you what Hezekiah means. Hezekiah means Yahweh strengthens. Manasseh means making to forget. Boy, would the people want to forget about this guy. And uh, the, the next king, which we will study, Josiah means Yahweh heals. Okay, names have meanings. Okay, let's look at Manasseh. 
chapter one, 21, verse 1, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old, very young, when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His, mother name, his mother's name was Hazippah. Again, if you remember, I said they mentioned the mother's name because that's to prove your Jewishness. Your Jewishness is proved through your mother, not through your father. Okay, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made wooden images of Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven, in two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his sons. Here it says son, but if you go to Second Chronicles, it mentions sons. So there's more than one son that he, uh, he made his sons pass through the fire. That's the same fire I'm talking about with God, the Moloch. He, even he put his own sons on this terrible God to... to uh, that, that they were practicing. He also practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft and consulted spiritualists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So much evil Manasseh did, the Bible says, that blood ran through the streets of Jerusalem. If you ever see when we get snow and then we get a real warm day and it all melts and you see the streets rolling with, flowing with water, just imagine it being blood. That's what Jerusalem was like. He even set a carved image of an Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel to wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the Lord that my servant Moses commanded them. And they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to his servant, the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him. And he has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch out, stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of the enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. 
because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even unto this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, beside his sin with which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So he shed much innocent blood. That's a terrible thing. It's one thing going towards another thing shedding innocent blood. So Hezekiah brought the children of Israel out of this nonsense and brought life. And Manasseh now has reverted and brought Israel back to the time of worshiping a God that brings death and other gods and other soothsayers and mediums. He did everything that the Bible taught, teaches not to do when you look at uh, the sins of Manasseh. Leviticus, and I, it's a very short one, Leviticus chapter 20. This was part of the Bible in Manasseh's day. I read it, the verse, scripture verse to you about, about them reading the, reading the covenant that God had made. This was part of the covenant. In Leviticus chapter 20, listen to what God says what Manasseh would do. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now keep in mind, this is before there was kings, before David. This is the time of Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives only of his descendants to Morlock, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, and I will set my face against that man, and he will cut him off from his people, because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man, when he gives some of the descendants to Moloch and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him or to commit holotry with Moloch. And the person who turns after mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That was God's words. Manasseh could have heard those words if he chose to, but he decided to go his own path and he could care less about what those words were. He just went ahead and proceeded to do and bring Israel back, or Judah, I should say, back to the thing that Hezekiah had just gotten them out of. And then 55 years, this man went about shedding blood. And all of a sudden now, it comes time when God's going to pronounce judgment on Manasseh. In verse 17 of 2 Kings 21, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did, and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? 
So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. Notice, it doesn't say how he died. Notice that it says that all the rest of the evil things that Manasseh did and all the sins, are they not recorded in Chronicles? Chronicles is an, another book of the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at uh, at Manasseh for a minute there, but it just points out nothing, right? It just points out Manasseh's done and he's gone. But something happened to Manasseh. Before he died, something happened, but it's recorded in Second Chronicles. Sometimes God puts things different places in the Bible because he wants us to search the scriptures. That's what the New Testament says, search the scriptures. So when we look in the scriptures, we go into Second Chronicles, and in uh, chapter 33, it talks about Manasseh again. And uh, I'll point out, let me see where it is. Oh, uh, verse 10 of 33, turn, it says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria and took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze feathers, those are chains, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him and he received his entreaty heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem and his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. After this, he built the wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gion and in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And then it goes on here and it mentions all the things that Manasseh did after he repented, but he did not take down the high place that continued during his lifetime until he was dead. And then when his son Ammon came into being, it continued. And it was so terrible that God now says, that's it. He's going to judge Judah, and Judah's going to go into captivity. He's going to bring Judah to an end. He has brought Israel to an end, and now Judah is going to come to an end, all because of one man, Manasseh, and the, all the blood that Manasseh shed. What he did was God pronounced death. Adam, he breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. And then he told Adam, the moment that you partake of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. So Manasseh represents death. Adam, when he sinned, the sin Manasseh brought death, the sin that Adam brought into the world would bring death. And what God brings life and he brings death, but he also brings revival. And revival is a powerful thing. It means to bring something literally that was dead back to life. If you uh, go to a church and people are praying for revival in the church, is what you're saying, the church is dead. God, bring it back to life. It shouldn't be that way. Church should be alive and vibrant. And if it is dead, yes, then you need to pray that God will bring it back to life, that God will do that, and he will. 
That's the kind of God we serve. So now Israel is in a point now where pronouncement has come. The prophets have come before. Isaiah has uh, pronounced. Jeremiah has come pronounced. And Jeremiah was the, was the prophet that actually was called the weeping prophet. He teared. He taught. He foresaw what God was going to do, that it, it, it was going to bring it to an end. And he was saying, don't even bother to try to fight. Don't even bother to try to get, get some mercenaries to help you. It's, it's not going to do any good. God says it's going to happen. You're going into captivity, and that's the way it is. And um, uh, Zephaniah, one of the little tiny little uh, prophets in the back, during the time of Ammon and the time of Manasseh and the time of Hezekiah, he came and foretold, it's, it's coming to an end. The time is coming to an end. There's nothing we can do about it. God has pronounced it. The blood of innocent little children are crying up to God. And God is saying, that's it. I hear you and I'm coming and I'm going to repay and I'm going to bring revenge. But something happened. Ammon lived a very short, very small little short time and he was out of the picture. And then all of a sudden comes a new king that takes the throne. And he would be the last godly king in the Old Testament, and after him, the end comes, and, and uh, Judah is done with. But God would not do away, because uh, do away with Israel at the time when Ammon was king, because he knew Josiah was going to come. He knew revival was going to come. That's the reason why I believe God hasn't come back yet today to judge this world, because I believe my personal feeling is God is a God that will bring revival before he brings judgment. After revival, then judgment, if you continue. So let's look at Josiah. Josiah's life. That's in chapter 22, the second book of Kings. Josiah means Yahweh heals. And boy, oh boy, did Jerusalem and Judah needed healing with all the innocent blood that was shed from Manasseh. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adidiah of Boskath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So Josiah did what was right, and he was not going to be influenced to turn off the path either way, to the right or the left. He was going to go forward and do what God has called him to do. And what he was going to be called to do was to bring back from the dead, to bring revival before God's judgment would finally come. Now, Josiah was not a perfect man. The Bible will tell us later on that Josiah ended up being killed. Yeah, well, wait a minute, being killed? He's a righteous king, but he was killed. He was killed because God, because of all the things that Manasseh did, it was being brought to the point where God was now preparing and opening up the way after revival that he was going to bring an end to the whole thing. Josiah says in verse uh, 3, it says, Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe. The scribe was a recorder, one who wrote, right? You had uh, 
a king's scribe who would write down things, uh, the, what was going on that day. And you also had religious scribes that were actually writing the Old Testament. That's all they had, or the Book of the Law. And um, they didn't have printing presses, so they had to literally write, write down, write the Bible. And uh, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, in the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord, and let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to the carpenters and the builders and masons, and to buy timber and new stone to repair the house to carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and new stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Under Manasseh, the house of the Lord fell into irrepair. It was, it, it was just, nobody was going there. They were all going to worship their gods and do horrible things all over the place but where they should be going. And now Josiah said, okay, look, we're going to get this money together, give it to the workers, let them go out there, all those professionals, and rebuild and get this house back in order. Bring back to life, revive the place where we would worship our God. In verse 8, then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law that was the first five books of the Bible, it's called the book of the Lord, the, the, um, the book that Moses had written in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those that do the work who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. I read to you one of the part of that, that, that book of the law in Leviticus chapter 20. And as soon as I read it, you knew right away it was referring to Manasseh and all the evil things he did. And it was written way before there was a king. And so now when they were reading it, they did read that. And the king began to realize, oh, my goodness, look at what we have done. We have gone way far from the God that I serve. This is terrible. What can we do? The prophets are pronouncing captivity, death, gloom. But what can I do to stop it? Sometimes it only takes one person to do something for God, to stop God from acting out his, uh, his plan to do bad, but to do good. And sometimes if that person doesn't step up, God will raise somebody else. Or sometimes it, his plan is going to always come and go into effect. He's pronounced judgment, but one person is going to stop it for a short time. And it was this man, Je Josiah, after he heard what the words of, of the law had read. In verse 11, it said, now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the Lord, that he tore his clothes. This is one of the things a king would do, tear his clothes 
and then take dirt and just throw it all over him and then just prostrate himself before the God Almighty and just beg for forgiveness. He didn't do anything wrong. His grandfather was the one that was doing all the damage. But he realized that his grandfather had brought the whole land of Judah into a terrible judgment that God was going to cast on him. So he's praying, God, don't do it. Don't do it. Please, Lord, forgive us. Please forgive us. And verse 12 says, Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Hayakim the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. When we go before the Lord and we pray today because we are his children and because we have the Holy Spirit living in us and we serve Jesus, God will answer us directly. We don't need a prophet. But back there in the day, the kings had to go and pray and now send word to the prophets that they would hear from God and see what God would do. And so Josiah is already making recognition. Our fathers have done terrible and we have brought the wrath of God upon us. Go see, maybe, maybe some God will work on our behalf. In verse 14, so Hilkiah the priest, Hayakim and Akbor and Shaphan and Azaziah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe, and she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, notice, this is not one of the big guys, Isaiah or one of them. This is a prophetess that doesn't even have a book in the Bible. A woman. A woman's going to come. God's going to use a woman here. Nothing wrong with women. I'm not being chauvinistic, but I'm just saying here God is using a woman, right? You would expect one of the mighty men prophets to come, but no, God is using a woman here to do, to do his bidding. And then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, and that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard that I spoke against the place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, 
and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place. So they brought word to the king. So here was God's promise to Josiah. I am not going to bring all this stuff to pass in your sight. You won't see it. You will go to your grave in peace, knowing that you were king over Judah and it remained. But I'm, it, it's, it, the judgment is coming. It is coming. It would have came on him too if he didn't humble himself, but he humbled himself. And because of that, God delayed it for the whole purpose of to bring revival to the land. I personally believe, and I cannot back this up only but because of what I read here and what I see how God is, that when he decides to come again to bring this world to an end, I believe he'll bring revival before he brings his judgment on this world. Uh, I, I believe that's the kind of God he is. He's not a God that wants to come and judge and punish people without giving them an opportunity. And I believe that there will be one last great revival in this world that many people will turn to God. And then I believe the end will come. That's my personal belief. Uh, you can take that if you like or take it with you and be blessed with it or you have different feelings. That's OK. But I believe that's the kind of God we serve. And so um, let's look at verse 23. Then the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. So he brought all the leaders to him. And the king went up into the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And they read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So they read it. They went up to the, to the house of the Lord and they read that entire five books of Moses. And uh, they were touched at the heart. Life came back into them. Revival was brought back into the land. Then the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, and with all his soul, and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people took their stand for the covenant. Verse 4, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priests of the second order, and to the doorkeepers, and to bring out the to the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal and Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kindred and carried their ashes to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Then he removed the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and the constellations which are stars, zodiacs, and all the host of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem and burnt it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual boots of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings 
for the wooden images. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places with their priests, had burned incense from Geba to Bathsheba. Also he broke down the high places at the gates, which were in the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to be left at the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren and defiled the Tophet, which means altar, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire of Moloch. And then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. Moloch was a sun god, and this was some of the things they dedicated. At the entrance to the house of the Lord, by the chamber of Nathan Melech, and the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there and, there, there, and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. So you can see what uh, Josiah was doing. He was going out there and removing all these terrible things and not just removing them, breaking them down to, the, to dust so that they would not be uh, even in the sight of the people anymore so that this way people can turn to the one true God. They would not be looking at a physical thing. They would be actually going to God who is a spirit. That was where, that's the only way revival can come. If you take your gods and destroy them and bring them to dust where they cannot come into your sight, not come into your remembrance anymore. Just think of the terrible things that they were doing and how the cry of the innocent blood that was shed was going up before the Lord. Uh, Ginger today is speak, spoke to us. Uh, she's representing life. Better, no better example than to stand for life, right? To choose life. And this country, is it's legal. It's legal to take and kill an innocent child and it, it, that's not yet born. And um, our own president, and I, I hate to talk, you know, to, to, to tell you how, how I feel about the president and that, he was speaking about his own two daughters. And he says, I'm not going to punish my daughter with a child if she got pregnant. That's the word he used. It was a punishment for her if she was to be made pregnant. That's not how we look at things. That's not how God looks at things. It's life. That's what God looks at. I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. That's what revival is. I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back from death to life. If God's judgment is going to come down and did come down because of what the children of Israel and Judah did, what is going to happen to this country or any other country that doesn't respect life? It's going to be... The same thing. God is, if God, if that, if that was his people and he sent prophets to his people, what more than those of us who have become his people later on? He's going to pass his judgment down on us. Verse 13 says, Then the king defiled the high places 
that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of, of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Shemash, the abomination of Moabites, and the Milcom, and the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. And we can go on. For time's sake, I'm not going to, to continue this, but Josiah just stripped, he took them all out. Everything, every impediment, because his heart was maybe God will do something great. Maybe God will stop from destroying us. Maybe God will keep from doing judgment. <clears throat> We know that um, God did do that. Remember, he was going to send his judgment on Assyria, and he got Jonah, and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to Assyria and tell them I'm going to pass judgment on them. And Jonah didn't want to go. Why didn't Jonah want to go? Because he knew that if he went and told them, and if by chance they repent, his enemies would be blessed by God. So he didn't want to do it. So he, you know what happened to Jonah? He rent and fled. And then they ended up throwing him into the sea, and a whale swallowed him up. And after three days, Jonah ran to the city of Nineveh after that whale spit him out. And he went and he preached, he preached what God was going to do, judgment, not repentance. And the whole entire city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, repented. Every last one of them turned to God and asked for forgiveness. And Jonah was still angry. And Jonah stood there like he wanted God to punish them in the worst way, and God did not. But Assyria would fall into judgment later on when God sent another prophet. And uh, that prophet foretold, and that time Assyria did not repent, and judgment came on them. So Josiah was hoping and praying, and God, in his mercy, promised Josiah something, and he kept it. But I want to read one verse in chapter 23 uh, just to, to uh, tell, uh, tell us a little bit more about um, Josiah. It says, Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. According to all the law of Moses, now after him did any arise like him. And then it, it brings uh, the death of Josiah in verse 30. It says, Then his servants moved his body in the chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Um, Josiah died in battle. A few verses before that, it mentions that he died in battle. And that was it. That was the last righteous king. That was where revival would come to an end. At that point on, there's just a couple of more chapters left in, in the second book of Kings. It just talks about how now God was coming. God had sent the Babylon, Babylonians, the first world power controlling the entire world. But they didn't yet get to Israel or Judah. And now they came. And God. Uh, God, God said, judgment's coming. It came. Uh, the last king of, the, of, the, of Judah, they burned his eyes out, made him blind after they killed all his uh, family in front of them. This is what the Babylonians did. And uh, 
That was the end of that guy. And that Babylon that said they went into the house of the Lord and, and, all, and ransacked the place. They took everything out of the house of the Lord. All that was left, all the gold, all the silver. When you think about the magnificence of Solomon's tabernacle, Solomon's actual temple that he built, and I'm sure you, you've seen some pictures on the History Channel and they show what it would have looked like. And it was, everything was made out of gold. And as Israel continued to sin, the gold left and it was replaced with silver. The silver left, it was replaced with a cheaper material, a cheaper metal because uh, they progressively were walking further and further away from God. And um, so whatever was left, it was taken into captivity. Where is the Ark of the Covenant today? You know, we've seen the movie uh, 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 with uh, Indiana Jones, and uh, nobody knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. Well, the Bible does not say where it is. Was it still there in the temple during the time when the Babylonians came and took it in captivity? Or was it taken out of the temple by the Jews and buried someplace to keep, to keep the Babylonians from taking? Nobody knows where it is today. But the book of Revelation gives a clue. It says when John was in heaven, he saw it up there. So God took it. Somehow along the way, God took it because that represented the presence of God. And he wasn't allow, it was not going to allow the Babylonians to take it. But all the other things were taken. They were all taken away by Babylon, including the best of their children. Daniel, all these guys, all these, the best of the children went into captivity. And uh, Israel, judgment came finally on Israel. So what does it mean for us today? I said, mentioned the three kings, one bringing life, one bringing death, and the other bringing revival. And I pointed out that Hezekiah represented like Adam, that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. There was life. And because Adam sinned, like Manasseh, death came and Adam began to die. We are all going to die. Unless we get raptured, we're all appointed to die. And uh, what brings revival? And uh, if you look in the Old Testament, uh, there wasn't one to bring revival. It came in the New Testament, and that was the second Adam, and that was Jesus. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. It was Christ's death on the cross that brought life to all of us. None of us could have satisfied the sin problem before God. There was nothing we could do other than God's grace. And the sin problem was solved by only God himself. Only God could satisfy himself. And that was his son, Jesus Christ. So as I close today, revival can only come through Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? You're praying for loved ones, revival can only come. They can only bring them back from the death. Jesus Christ is the only one. Nobody else can do it. God's sin was satisfied by Christ. He was the only one that went on the cross. Nobody else did. No one else could do it, right? Jesus is the Son of God, very God, yet very man. And it was a perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sin offering no spot, no blemish, never sin, completely tempted like the rest of us without sin. So revival comes into your home 
only through Jesus. Revival comes to those who are lost, only through Jesus. Keep in mind what revival means is to bring back, to bring back from the death. And if it doesn't come back, it goes into judgment. It goes into judgment one day. God is going to come and judge not only the earth, but also individuals. And in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the books being opening up. There's a book of life and a book of judgment at the great white throne judgment. All of us here, we ask Christ in our life. We don't have to worry about that. Our name in that book, it's been blotted out. We're now written in the book of life. Right? And uh, all I can say is wherever you go, on your job, in the school, wherever you are, we can bring revival. We don't have to be preachers. We don't have to get up there and, and, and bring the Bible. But we can represent Jesus there on the job. People can see it. They can just see it. They can see how you react and how you go through things and trials and all kinds of different things. Uh, people say, look, you're always smiling. I'm speaking of myself. When I used to work, you're always smiling, even when things weren't going good. And, and believe me, inside, I was hurting too, just like anybody else. I had my own trials. I go through them and my own tribulations. Yet, I have a, a, a good, happy personality. Why? Because I have someone that loves me, that cares for me, that washed me, that cleansed me, and made me his son, and made you his daughter and son. And one day he said, I'm going to bring you into glory. Either one way or the other, either I, when I physically die or through a rapture, I'm going to go be in his presence. Knowing that, I'm happy. Yes, I'm not always uh, joyful about situations that come my life, but I'm happy because I'm going into heaven. And I hope that's the same for you. If anybody here is not sure, Pastor and I would be glad to pray for you. And if you know the Lord and you're happy and you're serving him, do not be sad. Do not worry about any tribulations and stuff that go your way because God will carry you through it. He'll bring you through it. Father, we thank you today, Lord. And Lord, as we look through, oh God, what life was and what death brought, oh God, we know that you can bring life and bring revival, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody here, Lord God, that is in the death throes of their life, Lord, either spiritually or, or going through circumstances, Lord, Lord, I ask that you bring revival into their heart right now, Lord. Bring life, Lord God. Bring life, Lord, and that they will be able to stand and give a great testimony before you that we went through this, but you brought us through, oh God. Oh, what a great day that will be, Lord God, to know that we are your sons and your daughters and one day we'll be with you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you bless the rest of the day, Lord God, as Brother John leads us in another song and a fellowship afterwards, Lord. Bless us, oh God, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.